Welcome to A Moment of Bach, where we take our favorite moments from the composer's vast musical output, just a minute's worth or even a few seconds, and show you why we think they are remarkable. We are your hosts, Alex and Christian Giebert. Today is our second of two episodes on the cantata BWV 21, Ich hatte viel Bekümmernis. There are a lot of bad thoughts within me, but thy comforting words revive my spirit. This cantata discusses the journey from sorrow and grief to joy and relief. The emotional theme of this cantata takes a central place in Christianity and Judaism. For this cantata, we are fortunate to have a Jewish perspective from the listener who suggested it, Eliezer. By the way, we had some of his personal information wrong because we were looking at his relative's profile. He is a 17-year-old boy who lives in Israel. And Eliezer also noted that the German translation from Luther that Bach used is what's not exactly accurate from the original Hebrew. In the German that Bach sets, it's, I had much grief in my heart, but your consolations revive my soul. And as we'll see, that is central to the way that Bach sets this text. Interestingly, that's not really what the Hebrew says. It's more like, when there are a lot of bad thoughts within me, your consolations revive my soul, would be a more direct translation into English from the original Hebrew. So this text is used in Christianity and Judaism. And Eliezer says that indeed the transition from the feeling that we are guilty to the understanding that we are and shall be loved by God is a main theme in Judaism. It appears in the transition of Christ from the crucifixion to the resurrection and also in the transition from the wrath prophecies to the consolation prophecies, which are read in Jewish congregations on summer Saturdays. But this is a theme that anyone can understand and relate to, since it is relevant to the biggest events in human history, but also the most ordinary human situations. Two great grand choruses from this cantata have these Old Testament themes. The first, which we heard already, the words, we hear two opposing thoughts. If you listen to our first episode, the one right before this week, you'll know that this cantata has a logical progression from sorrow and trouble into joy and happiness. And we're right at the beginning here, deep into the sorrow. Bach sets this up with the end of a almost heart-wrenchingly beautiful 
opening Symphonia, which ends quizzically and strangely and uh, really sets the tone. After a short little introduction with some repeats of the word ich, we start off into an imitative section on that first line. Ich hatte viel Bekümmernis in meinem Herzen, in my heart. So listener, I'd like to direct your attention to this wonderful little outbursts that occur within the strings and oboe and um, bassoon. And it's almost as though brief little waves are washing over us as they enter all at once and then leave all at once. In a musical texture that's not very common. He's almost treating them like a separate little choir coming in and coming out. Well, he does that right at the very beginning of the movement with just the single notes, right? Ich, bum, ich, bum, right? Yeah, it's the same thing. He's got he's got choir plus continuo on those words, and then he's got the rest of the orchestra commenting or responding. So, Alex, is this is this sort of double choir thing with one choir being the choir and the other being these other instruments is this just an artistic choice to make things pretty is it a musical painting of the sorrow or maybe this is a little bit of a stretch is it a little bit of a prophecy of what's to come in the cantata as a second character which arrives later i wonder yeah maybe to me it just brings to mind what we talked about last week which is how he treats the instruments and the voices at least equally um, or maybe even gives the instruments the place of honor sometimes more often. You could have a second choir take five parts there. No, what you do is you just have the uh, continual play the bassoon part. <laughs> Again, it wouldn't be very faithful like I talked about last week to make all these changes, but wouldn't it be amazing to hear that though? That would be this movement. Yeah. And just you just take out the oboe and violin, one, two, violin, and bassoon. And then you just put those on soprano, one, two, alto, tenor, bass, and then just do it. Yeah. You know, put the words in that correspond to what have already been sung. Yeah, it's a little silly, but but it's, it's completely it's completely in the spirit of Bach because yeah. we know he does this in his Saint Matthew Passion, for instance. And we know that he takes works that he wrote before and rearranges them, so it wouldn't oh, be true. out of the question either. Yeah. I love these earlier cantatas because he's Bach is often separating aspects of the text within a movement very rhapsodically, and things switch quickly. Yeah. He doesn't do that in his later works in Leipzig. He just sticks to one grand thing for a big opening chorus of seven or eight minutes, and then, then come the recitatives and arias, and then a final thing. He has a formula by the end, you know. Yeah. But before he 
was a little more experimental. The affect changes yeah, a little quicker. It's kind of like he was, later in his life, he settled into the true Baroque style, you know, right? Where these affects were all separate. But earlier, it's kind of more similar to like older operatic stuff. In the, yeah, in this, in this, we have a clear division, maybe the clearest that there could be between these two emotional thoughts. My heart was troubled with bad thoughts versus the comforting words revive my spirit. In the text, there is the German word aber, but, but thy comforting words re revive my spirit. There is a duality right off the bat. And Bach sets this with two completely different sections of music. Those sections are separated by an actual musical wall of separation, which is the word aber. on-the-nose setting of rhetorically of what that word means. There's a pause on a strong beat, and then suddenly on an unexpected beat, after a silence, there's a strange harmony on this word aber. Mm. Yeah, almost questioning. And it's set at a slower tempo in this one measure that contains the word aber. It's like, however, right? <laughs> however. And then suddenly, the next expression, which is marked vivace, which means lively or fast, right? That's when you get to the next part of the sentence. Your consolations restore my soul. Vivace, not a coincidence that that means lively, right? Talking about restoring my soul. Vivace would have been what Bach wrote in the school. So the division of these two giant halves of this giant chorus by the single word aba means that this word, like we said, has to be set with music that's harmonically incomplete or unfinished. Not something stable, something a little unstable, something that needs to move somewhere else. And it does push us into what sounds like a new harmonic area temporarily. And the chord itself is one of waiting for the next thing to happen, you might say. fantastically unresolved chord by its inversion and by its seventh, which are two reasons that it needs to resolve. Really sets up the rest of the cantata as the nature of duality between slow and fast or sorrow and joy. The word zile, which is soul, is the one that gets all of the fast notes, even though it is at the end of the sentence. But thy comforting words revive my spirit or my soul. Yeah, and there's so much great melisma in here. Melisma being the moving of a note on a syllable, right? All this wonderful movement. Looking at the score is really fun here because you just see all these... I mean, just, it's just the page is full of notes, you know? You see all these 16th notes moving up and down. Mm -hmm. And if you questioned Bach's use of this lively and really fast music to set basically a translation of the word comforting, obviously he was more thinking of the word revive, 
when he went right, fast, revive or restore, yeah. But he does still give that at the end, the last few seconds of this movement. It changes tack again. The words are the same, but now we get to hear more of the comforting words being set as we finally wrap up the music. Later, there's another chorus. Was betriebst du dich, meine Seele? Why are you troubled, my soul? This one has even more changing as it goes. Yeah, there's so much good contrast in here. In the very second line, why are you so unquiet within me? That changes, and Bach writes spirituoso for a new tempo marking to be faster and spirited. Wait upon God changes again. Mm, yeah. To an adagio. And, and there's a long note on the word, wait, right? Mm-hmm. Changes again in tone for, for I shall yet give him thanks. And then we're like off to the races as we finish out with the last line. He is the help of my countenance and is my God. And here, as this section starts, just like the beginning of the movement, Bach chooses to set it for solo voices. In harmony, well, first for just one, and then they enter on a fugue. But then later, all the voices come in on a fugue. So it's always just this expansion, starting from just one person saying this to everybody, all the faithful people, right? That's what the metaphor is here. It's like now everybody's joining in to say, I see him as my help and my God. Yeah, and he was not always, Bach did not always avail himself of, of this strategy. I mean, it's rarely called for in his cantatas. This means that I guess we assume this cantata, he, was, he had access to at least eight singers. I mean, yeah, it must be. And, you know, like I mentioned in last week's episode, you can also surmise that because in the 11th movement, which is the last movement, is the only time we hear the trumpets and timpani with the festive sound there. He had those resources, even though he only used them in the last movement. He had a big orchestra. Mm -hmm. He probably had a big choir for this. He performed this in Weimar first, because this is an earlier thing. Then it's recorded um, that he did again in Leipzig. So, I mean, he had resources there too, but it depended on the year. Sometimes he had a small choir. Also, one thing I love is the bassoon line in this. A lot of times it doubles the bass singers, but it's separate from what the continuo instrument instruments are doing. 
And it's kind of unusual. A lot of times with Bach, you just have the bassoonist play the continuo line along with the low string instruments and like the organ pedals and stuff. But here, he has a separate bassoon part. Yeah, he had to write out a separate part. He, he didn't do this later in his life very often. And, and you might not notice it, but it might be a little bit subconscious to the listener. But it does add a little bit of texture and nuance. And in some of those sections, like in the opening chorus, the bassoon is paired with the oboe and strings. And then the choir is paired as the other choir, as the other group with the other bass instruments and the um, keyboard continual instruments. Yeah. If you don't know how to pick out a bassoon from the texture by listening, try to listen for that lower instrument that sounds a little honkier, like a little nasal. It's the same thing as, I mean, not the same thing. They're very different. <laughs> Bassoonists and oboists would be mad at me saying this, but it's kind of the same thing with an oboe where you're listening for a more nasal sound. It's still a beautiful sound, I would say, but especially a Baroque oboe, but it's a little more nasal than other wind instruments. One thing I've learned, uh, Alex, through our listeners, is that the avenues to Bach are so varied around the world. And in this case, Bach's liturgical works that are based in the Old Testament of the Bible might have a special significance for Jewish people. And I think that Bach's psalm settings, which are some of them in this cantata and, and elsewhere, are some of his most interesting choral music. Because mm, that yeah. stuff has that stuff is very emotional yeah. and has a lot a lot to musically give to us. And I guess you might say that it can't rely on just the general Christian theme of salvation or a Jesus theme. And because of that, it has to do something almost psalm like. It has to express something that the Psalms express. which is often thankfulness or lamentation or praise or sorrow or the you know the psalms right. have so many tones the range tones. yeah the range of human emotion is all found there and of course it was supposed to be set to music anyway and now here is that moment from movement to the aber however moment If this introduction to a musical moment has inspired you to hear the rest of this cantata, please see the link in the episode description to see the performance of Ich hatte viel Bekümmernis, BWV 21, by the Netherlands Bach Society. And if you haven't already checked out last week's episode, we talk more about this cantata. Do you want to hear our new episodes as we release them? Find us on your podcast app and hit subscribe. That way you get all the new episodes downloaded directly to your device. Please continue to find us on your podcast platform and give us a rating. That really helps us get found by other people. And keep 
submitting your requests. As you know, the last few episodes, we've been covering listener requests. We love doing that. We'd love to hear more requests. So what's next? Next week, we will be looking at the cantata Darzu est erschienen der Sohn Gottes, BWV 40. Until next time, enjoy those moments. <laughs>